Welcome to the Q Podcast Show, where we discuss ideas, innovations, and thought leadership in frontier areas such as AI, machine learning, and finance. In today's session, we are joined by Tony Guida on a talk on machine learning for factor investing. In this speaker series, Tony introduced the concept of supervised learning. Then he covered the practitioner's angle for constructing nonlinear multi-factor signals using stock characteristics. He showed the added value of ML-based signals over traditional linear stale factors blend inequity. Now on to Sri Krishnamurthy, the host of the show. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Uh, this is Sri Krishnamurthy from Quant University. Welcome to the sixth week of the Quant University Summer School Speaker Series. Today, we are excited to have Tony Guaida, who's joining us from Switzerland. And Tony will be talking about his research and his work on machine learning with factor investing. So Tony is no stranger to machine learning and factor investing, and he's one of the renowned quants in the area of applying machine learning into investments. And I'm gonna do a brief introduction to Quant University and tell a little bit about Tony and then hand over the stage to Tony. Hello, Tony, how are you? Very good, hello everybody. I hope you're well and safe wherever you are. Thank you. So uh, let me just do a quick screen share and for people who are joining us for the first time, uh, we had sent out an email with some instructions for the lab, and we're gonna do something different in this summer lecture series. Uh, we've been getting feedback that you know, some of the lectures we've been doing are amazing, but people like to have access to the code and some of the notebooks, so we have encapsulated some of uh, the code and Tony's notebook, uh, Tony's book, and uh, we have made those Jupyter notebooks available through the, uh, the, through the lecture page. And I'm gonna just illustrate how it's gonna look. So if you're seeing my screen, you would have gotten a link to Q.Academy. Uh, just use those um, credentials and the code we gave you so that you can access to the landing page. So this session is also being streamed online and we'll you know, put in the recording in here and all the slides associated with today's presentation are also gonna be available in here. Uh, so let me just uh, uh, show you a couple of things. For people who don't know Quant University, we are based out of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, in today's day and age, it doesn't matter in the age of COVID where you're located, uh, but uh, uh, we have been in business for the past seven years, primarily as an analytics advisory, focusing on the intersection of data science, machine learning, and quantitative finance. Uh, I was a quant at uh, Citigroup, and I was at a company called MathWorks for a long time, primarily helping clients scale and build applications. And we've been working with various regulators, credit rating companies, asset management companies, helping them with new technologies and adoption of these new technologies. In the last two years, we've been expanding our footprint in the training and professional learning area. We are realizing that the current uh, state of the art and the pace at which it's growing is so fast that professionals are having a challenge to keep up with all the content out there. And uh, you know, on one end, you have the bombardment of all the vendor-related materials, which you just be, you know, everybody wants your time to get a demo to you. On the other hand, uh, you see a lot of medium and other kinds of publications, everybody just taking and wrapping the same example and providing a different font size, shape, and form and presenting it there. Uh, so we are basically wanting to create some, um, an avenue wherein you know, quants and researchers and professionals who are working in these areas would be able to exchange ideas and make sure that the concrete state of the art, which is currently being experienced and you know, researched and applied in various areas could be brought into the professional world. 
And uh, we've been doing these workshops uh, uh, for a long time. And uh, this summer, we are hosting the first uh, Quant University Summer School. We have people from 12 different countries, uh, regulators, uh, bankers, uh, investment analysts, students, uh, practitioners, people who have been investors and uh, quantitative analysts, but are now trying to apply machine learning. Uh, so we have been uh, you know, exploring various space in which we can provide content in different forms. And we have three different courses, one focused on just an introductory data science course for introduction to data science for folks who are new to machine learning and data science. Another one focused on machine learning in finance, kind of giving you the nuts and bolts on what does machine learning mean. And the third one focused on model risk management, especially in the day of COVID-19, wherein there are so many scenarios you have to factor in, especially when you're building quantitative models. So we are looking at the various avenues and ways in which we can invoke the discussion. Um, on the other hand, uh, we are also expanding the programming and we are also planning the fall school. And in the fall school, we are primarily looking at machine learning, scalable artificial intelligence, and uh, governance and fintech post COVID-19. So we are all realizing that we are gonna be in a new world and we are putting together a variety of different courses. We are redoing some of the courses which have been extremely popular, but also we are partnering with organizations like Premier we are offering new courses. And one of the new courses we are really excited to announce is the FinTech course. We call it the eight facets of FinTech. Uh, I've been teaching FinTech and associated topics at Northeastern University in the business school in the MBA program. Um, and uh, we also did a bunch of boot camps in Boston. But the landscape has changed and we want to make sure that people are aware of, you know, where are the opportunities, where are the, uh, uh, where are the challenges and what's happening with the state of art there. So uh, stay tuned uh, if you're interested in knowing more. Just go to qfintech, com, and these slides are already available online, so you can go in and click those links and uh, get a little bit more information about the program. So without further ado, I'd like to announce the agenda for today. So I'll be handing over the microphone to Tony in a minute, and Tony is going to talk about machine learning, factor investing. Uh, so this is a fascinating area, and I've been looking at factor investing for a really long time, and when I came across Tony's book, uh, which is available at ML factor.com, it basically gives you a wonderful uh, you know, coverage of various topics and possibilities. And I really respect and admire what Tony has and uh, his co-author has done in terms of uh, making sure that the code is available and readily reproducible. That way you can not only just understand the concepts, but are also something which you can try out and see whether it makes sense to you for your particular use case. Uh, and Tony knows, you know, needs no introduction. So he has been a renowned quant in uh, various areas. Uh, he focuses on primarily uh, quantitative methods, but you know, in the context of uh, uh, a really long career in terms of uh, investments and uh, quant investing, but he's also passionate uh, in, uh, in education, and he has been teaching at various arenas. And uh, uh, he is also very much involved in publications. So he is an editor-in-chief in the Journal of Machine Learning for Finance and also a co-chair for the EMEA uh, Machine Byte Think Tank. So last time we spoke, Tony, you were, uh, you know, you're based out of Geneva, I know, and uh, you, know, you were kind of getting ready for a walk near the Geneva Lake, which I, which I kind of must be honest and say I'm very jealous of you, you know, being in Boston and I love the, uh, the Switzerland landscape, especially in uh, summer. So you are, you're one of the lucky few who can, you know, still explore some of the, uh, the, uh, the amazing uh, nature which is out there. Um, so, Tony, I'm just going to stop my presentation and hand over the microphone to you. Um, and for people online, if you have any questions, please uh, put them in the chat window. And uh, after the presentation, 
um, I will uh, ask um, you know uh, some of the questions which you'll be putting on the, on the forum. So Tony, the, the stage is yours. Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, returning uh, the favor uh, regarding Boston, which is a city that I love. Uh, this is definitely some kind of a flavor of Europe. Thank you. This <laughs> massive positive energy attitude uh, that you can find in the US with also the quant flavor, which uh, I am not uh, a stranger. Um, I'm going to, I guess you have to stop sharing your screen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Sorry I will, about that. And I will be, no, that's fine. Yeah. So thanks everybody for being there. Um, I'm gonna stop the video while I'm be talking since now you see uh, what I look like. I'm gonna share my screen, the full screen, and we're gonna start on that, right? So basically in a nutshell, we've got 50 minutes left together. I'm guessing that I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep um, some time left for Q&A at the end. I don't know if, Sri, you want to add something. If somebody has a burning question, should it be interrupting or putting it in the chat? Uh, let's, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, maybe if we can, uh, you know, save the last 10 to 15 minutes for Q&A, Tony. Okay. Uh, that All way right, so I can so just some of the questions and answer them. Yeah, yeah. I'll be watching end. the chat window. Okay, cool. So so we're going to do the, the Q&A at the end. Um, this presentation will be split in two things, mainly. Right? I'm going to start on this book that I co-wrote with my uh, uh, friends and uh, research peers, Guillaume Cochret. I've been working with uh, Guillaume uh, for the best part of the last five years in terms of research. Why we are working together? Because, I mean, we used to work at a different shop in Metz, and uh, Guillaume is definitely uh, somebody that can excite you about academia, and I'm much more practitioner. So we, we, we thought it would be a good practice uh, to blend our efforts in papers and research in topics in order to make the best of both worlds flourish uh, in each of our contribution. And we try to do that. Uh, one of the fruits of this uh, tree of knowledge that we try to build with, uh, with Guillaume is this book. This book that you can find here, uh, which is free, actually, for the moment. It's, it will remain as a companion website, open source. Uh, why we the book will be uh, released in September, 1st of September. This is the R version of the book. There will be a Python version of the book. So you see that we want to be exhaustive with, with Guillaume because we don't want to, to be part of those obsolete, sterile debate about do you want to prefer R or Python or whatever. I think knowledge should be shared, and that's, that's the way we want to do it. So that's why also we want to be consistent with what what are our beliefs in terms of research. We've been enjoying a lot of uh, free tools, free algorithms from the computer science community that taught us if one thing, uh, the price and the value of having a very energetic community. This is what we want to do in finance. That's why we, we wanted to be uh, transparent. So if you're interested in the book, you can first go to the website. If you like what you see, well, you can buy the book. That's it. If you can afford it, you can buy the book. If you, if you cannot afford it, you can still have the, the knowledge. And that's something that we wanted to, to do with Guillaume. This book is uh, one of the many. There are a lot, lot of very good books that are uh, released lately. Uh, in my presentation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the other, the other people. And this one has been slightly not different, but we wanted to, to give it even a more modern flavor because we did share uh, all, all the, the 
codes in a GitHub. So you can find as well all the data in this GitHub. So you can, exactly as she said, you can play with for yourself, you can test things, you can do the result again. And uh, this is one of the first time that somebody is uh, open sourcing a, a decent um, database for factor investing in, in, uh, in equities. We constructed uh, this database uh, with Guillaume. Actually, this is part, a uh, subset of our common research database, which is above uh, my, my, my day job. It's different from my activities and my day job. So basically, what this book is about, well, we love to do something with, with Guillaume when we do presentation and collaboration. We, we, we try to think negative first. So before telling you what this book is about, I'm going to tell what this book is about. Actually, the broad spectrum of machine learning in finance is super huge. Um, it would be very different to put everything in just one label. Actually, machine learning in financial markets, stock selection is much more closer than what we do and what we want to to offer as a, as a basic uh, uh, pillar of knowledge in this book. The area, the topics that we are not covering is the other fields, with, which are extremely I mean, interesting as, as a standalone field as well, but it's not covered in this book. We are not also in a position where we can share alternative data sets, because we wanted this book to be open source. For the moment, this might change in the future. We still want to, this book to evolve and to grow. This is the thing that we want to do with Guillaume. So we're gonna add new chapters and we're gonna add new chapters online. And potentially we're gonna release at some point next year an NLP data sets that's the, the one that we've built over the years as well. That will be ours in uh, some kind of anonymous manner. But in this book, you won't be finding a use case on alternative data. Uh, we want, we won't be going each time into each demonstration of the math behind it. There are incredible books that you can find if you want to, to go deeply into the details of the math. We are introducing all the math, the developments that are uh, useful for finance, but this is where we start. And as I was saying, NLP is the part that, that is missing for the moment and that we're gonna include at some point next year as an online thing in the next version of the book. How the book is structured, very simple. So the introduction, which you are having the data annotation, which is now commodities in all the book. We are giving you all the references if you're interested to test it. So remember, if you want to see where you can add the reference to Guillaume's uh, GitHub, where the codes plus the data is uh, saved in store, this is where you have to go. You have to create potentially a GitHub account, and this is. This is the, the, the link. So basically, we split the book with supervised uh, uh, learning as an introduction. Why doing that? Because I mean, again, and I'm gonna speak an additional five minutes about the book and after that we, we, we will be digging into a use case with a, a similar data set. But machine learning is so huge, and especially in finance, that you don't have time to test anything to be extremely honest with you. So you, are, you, have, you have to focus your, your, your efforts, your energy on some of the things that are already tested and that working and making sense, right? So all the penalized regressions, something that is extremely common in econometrics, I've been doing that when I was a student more than 20 years ago. Pre-based also is something extremely important and I'm gonna use a, tree, a boosted trees in the use case. So if you're interested, 
in boosted trees stick around for the next part of the, of the presentation. <laughs> so you see now how we did uh, structure the, the subsection in the book. Well, uh, so like Tony, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Would you mind sure. uh, keeping the microphone closer to your mouth? I think there's a little bit of uh, noise coming. Thank you. Is it better now? Yeah, it's much better now. Thank you. Okay, so uh, I won't be moving too much. So the sub part is very straightforward and we like to give a very simple example, but again, uh, as you all, you'll see in the further details, the idea in this book is really to use factor investing type of features, which is market-like features. This is pretty much what you're going to use in your day job, sort of. Right? It will be more, you might add uh, much more alternative data or other things, but you see that here you've got a first tree which is done like a classification and regression tree out of a data set in order to predict uh, performance, which is if I remember one month here, and it gives you a rule base, right? And why trees are extremely important in, in stock selection in finance? Because this is something that you can easily understand. This is very close to the way human, let's uh, uh, say, thoughts could be developed, uh, applied when thinking about this stock selection thing. You express some degrees of rules if the stock is superior to a certain level, which is price to book hill, and you refine it. You want to sub-select to have an additional, uh, let's say, multi-factor rule-based stock selection. And this is how the first generation of smart beta have been done. And smart beta, to some extent, is, is linked to this uh, uh, raise rise of uh, factor investing. So that's something which is kind of common, is to give those examples for stock for equities, and the whole book is, is done like that. Right? So we go, obviously, to all the, the commodities, neural nets, the things that people should know. And after that, we wanted to do uh, some kind of a guidelines, right? How to validate uh, the added value of ensembles, important topics such as interpretabilities, even more important topics such as causalities, right? And we go through all this like very huge corpus of machine learning, uh, we've always this goal of having a backtest, a portfolio backtest, to strengthen it. So we go also into all, all, all the parts. In order to be uh, as at the money as possible in terms of topics, we wanted also to cover reinforcement learning and unsupervised, even if it's not the core goal of the book. The core goal of the book is much more the supervised learning if you want to select stock. So now that we did this thing, right? And I'm guessing that there is no question and uh, we're gonna address the question at the end. Still have pretty much 25 minutes. We're gonna go through, through your, your use case, okay? So this is a disclaimer um, that I encourage you to read. But this is not, uh, I'm not selling you anything more fund or recommending you stocks. I'm just giving you some knowledge about my research and what I'm doing on my data. So the, the importance of the topic of factor investing uh, in machine learning is also related to the moment. Right? So why now people in finance have been extremely interested over the last five years in, in this alpha quest using machine learning is because every lights were at, at green. Right? It was a yes, 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 and it ticked all the boxes. So we had the current uh, the computational power. We had the, the data, we add the pipes in order to add data. We also add this 
uh, open source community that was feeding us a new, uh, a new algorithm without having to build them from scratch, right? And on top of that, also asset management as an industry have been facing, and also hedge fund, and I'm working in the hedge fund industry, have been facing uh, some, some erosion in the alpha over, over the last decades. Everybody would agree on that. So there's been a need to innovate. What we, can we expect from, from uh, machine learning in factor investing? This is really high level topics, but I want to, to, to make you understand that those questions should be asked in, before going and enrolling in, in any project for machine learning stock selection. In order to have- Tony, um, I think a couple of people are saying they're still having a difficulty hearing you. Um, is there any chance you can like, you know, get closer to the microphone or- um, I can switch. If you can switch your headset, I don't know if there's- uh, Is it better now? Uh, it's a little bit better, yep. Okay. Yeah, this is much better actually, thank you. Okay, so what I was, what I was saying earlier is the importance of the topic of machine learning in finance. And why, why now? So I was giving examples of why all, all, all the, 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 the factors were positive in order for this machine learning finance to, to be a boom, at least on the, on the buzzword side, right? And after that, uh, uh, what I wanted to stress uh, a lot on is what can you expect from machine learning and finance, especially in factor investing? Because the problem in lots of, of uh, emotional debates in machine learning or applied to finance has been coming from higher, I mean, unrealistic expectation. The things that you have to expect from factor investing in, in machine learning is to test more characteristics, more signals. You can test more, right? Because this is how uh, machine learning algorithms have been, have been thriving is, is those highly dimensional feature space. What you should expect also from those things is uh, to leverage on the nonlinear behavior of the patterns, okay? You expect a better view uh, for selecting stuff than just a linear average of stale data. You expect also to invest, to, to be dynamic, to adapt even more, and to and be capable of leveraging the ensemble approach. The ensemble approach is, is very common in, in uh, for instance, uh, a ski-based thing like uh, Random forest, also boosted trees. This is the wisdom of the crowd. Okay. So in order to speed up a little bit time, I'm gonna go directly on those slides. Will be faster like that. So the case study will be split in two parts. Uh, those two parts will be first uh, the importance of data. I want to stress that because it's also very important, especially when you're gonna manage money. Uh, according to those models, right? you have to spend a lot of time on the, data, on the data side. And after that, I will go through the construction of the portfolio using a machine learning uh, signal using booster trees. And I'm going to contrast those portfolio compared to different benchmarks. All right. So getting back to the why behind the importance of data. Okay. So what you are seeing here at the moment is a picture of Galileo. Why Galileo? Because Galileo is one of the father of uh, modern science, the way we do, we do modern science. I want to stress that because the idea of behind the way we do what we used to do, or we, we like to do science nowadays, was to come up with a theory, to have an idea of, of something. 
and to come up with interactions, prediction on this theory. If I change x, I have variable y, and so on and so forth. To experiment it, which is the, the, the thing that Galileo also pushed, and to observe the results, okay? This is how we do science, and this is also how asset pricing, like generic traditional asset pricing have been created. What machine learning is about is doing Why? Because everything is started from data, right? From the data you're going to be training, you're going to have your model on the prediction side, and you're going to accuracy or whatever metrics you want to use. And that's the big difference. Why I'm saying that? Because in finance, the impact of not paying times in data could be extremely painful. I'm going to jump a little bit in the case study now. So we're going to illustrate this importance of data numerically. We're going to see how, what is the impact of not paying attention to data when you want to use a boosted tree models for machine learning stock selection. Okay? So this is what we can call the protocol. We want to predict um, 12 months future performance. So basically, this is telling that you want to focus on the long-term side of equity returns and the, that you want to predict the, not the level, but the year or key of future stock performance, right? To do that, you're going to use a classification. We're going to use a classification models. Very simple case. Why? Because if you think about stock selection and especially in entrant, you want to be the dimension when you can express a long opinion and a short opinion. So classification is a perfect example for that, right? Do you, you only have two choices. It can be ever long, a good stock, right? A probability of outperformance, uh, uh, which is positive, superior to, to the threshold, and the opposite for the short term. So what's going to be the investment universe is going to be made on global stocks, okay? Approximately 2,000. That said that we're going to use is going to be 20 years. It's going to be containing, it's going to, contain some alternative and traditional data in order to prove a point. And we're going to do this uh, protocol on EDA, which is an acronym very used in, in computer science. So what we're going to do is simple cases, simple parts of what uh, exploratory data analysis should be. First, we're going to use a training on tails, which is a concept that I'll, published paper with Guillaume, if you're interested in the details. We don't have, I'm afraid that we don't have the, the time to go into the details, especially potentially in the question. We're going to spend some attention also on the, removing the outliers. We're going to also uh, look at the coverage of instances. Okay? So if a stock, stock at the date, the vector of characteristics, the vector of features, if it's lower certain coverage, for instance, imagine that you only have 50% of the data points, potentially it won't be a good thing to have this, uh, this, this instance in your data sets. Same goes from the feature, which are the columns. So we're going to use those 400 features, factors, coming signals, uh, whatever name you want to put on, uh, coming from this factor investing literature. So basically it will be about uh, Estimates data, there is a slide about that. Fundamental trading, price base, volume base, risk base, and composites that would be linear combination of those. Basically, everything to replicate this value, momentum, quality, you know, those families. So, in order to, to see the impact of data, we deliberately are gonna create a different portfolio. 
one with this EDA, so spending times on all those parts, and one without. Okay, same parameter, same data set, same, same thing. Everything remains the same, like we said, Ceteris Paribus United. Okay, and we're going to check the results according to three lenses. First, the accuracy of the model, then the interpretability, and afterwards, the out-of-sample performance. So basically, without uh, uh, running too much to surprise, first thing first, we look at the models, okay? As I was saying, I created deliberately two virtual paper portfolio, which are long shot equity. One is using this base no ETA signal, so same model, booster trees classification one year forward. And the other one is using this EDA approach, which is basically making sure that the data are making sense and there is some causality in the data. So performance, you already have the answer. You see that not using, not spending time on the, the data part is extremely harmful, even on the paper portfolio. This is all the profits that you are leaving to the table. Going much more into some of the details, you see here, rolling accuracy charts for the model which is uh, with uh, ETA. I split the accuracy for the short book and the long book, right? So you see that the average one is, is kind of good, but the idea is to compare this chart with the other portfolio, the one which is without ETA. And what we can see is that just looking at plain vanilla accuracy metrics, it's impossible to say which one is the best. There is no link with this thing and out of, out of sample performance. It's not a direct link, right? So continuing on this uh, check in order to find out what is the cost of not paying attention to data, we go naturally to the model interpretability. Right? So this is a, a busy chart. I'm gonna try to zoom as much as I can for you. All right. So what you are seeing here is a rolling interpretable um, uh, chart, bar, um, stack charts, in order to see all the families of factors, right? So this is the most important families of features. So the most important families of factors, right? And this chart is coming from the no EDA uh, model. So what you can see is that everything, almost like 60% of the variance of the importance is taken by just one family of factors. Most likely, this is not a good sign. By looking at the one when we spend some attention to getting rid of outliers and all those things, right? It's much more cleanly, more evenly balanced, okay? And that's, that's a little bit uh, one of the bad signs and one of the signs that people should be paying attention to. Moving on, and after this, this EDS section, maybe um, um, I will check if there's some burning question of maybe if Shri, you can confirm it that the sound is still okay. It's perfect. It's perfect, okay. Yeah. So I can continue. Thank you. So as I was saying, our first case study is to um, understand what's the impact of not paying attention to, uh, to data. We checked first the accuracy, and it was a, a draw, impossible to say which one is basically the best. We checked interpretability, and we saw that uh, there was one style family of features that was taking 60% of everything. 
So not really extremely important when you want to blend on a nonlinear basis 400 uh, different features. And finally, we're going to check at the performance analytics. We're going to check at different things. When you're running backtest or when you do any on a research side, obviously a key element will be cost, right? We all know that this is not a perfect proxy, but having high turnover is only leading to higher cost. That's for sure. So what we uh, are looking at here, those busy charts, is the turnover for those two models, with EDN without it, split by average decile. So I'm taking those signals, the signals on the whole full cross-section of those 2,000 stocks, and each month I'm computing rankings the higher decile would be the one which is the most exposed to this probability of our performance, right? So decile uh, 10 would be the, the best one, I mean, the one with the highest probability of performance according to this machine learning signal. And the opposite, D1 uh, will be the lowest one, okay? So D10, the long portfolio, D1, the short. And what we are looking here is year average of turnover on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, sorry. So what we are seeing on the color coded is that the tails on each of the models are much more stable, right? The higher turnover here is, is about 800%. It's unmanageable, okay? And comparing now that we understand uh, what those graphs are about, comparing the two models, the one with EDA and the one without it, okay? You see that first, in terms of the average, applying EDA is increasing, so decreasing the level of turnover. It's, there is less cost on both the long one, which is here on the right, and the short one on the left. And it's much more messy here on the no EDA. So on a turnover cost basis, you see that paying attention and that is already paying. So now, if we spend attention to a, a less charlatan charts using rolling analytics, which gives you the behavior of a strategy, you'll see that these EDAs almost consistently outperforming the one without, but not always, right? You see that here on this points, and for those which are practitioners in the equity market, we'll notice this chaotic period where there is a lot of dispersion, a little bit of fake dispersion, but this junk value rebound. The models, even with EDA, did not perform well, better than the one without, okay? So that's just a couple of examples of steps that one has to follow at least in order to understand what he's doing and on a financial basis and to make sure that he's taking all the chances on his side, his or side, uh, to put the model into production. So now, if we look at all those steps that uh, we applied, this coverage in instances, this coverage of uh, features, this training on tail, and this outlier filtering, we want to have an idea of a value, right? An added value or, or a percentage. So here I computed some very simple analytics in order to see on uh, um, added 
um, on a margin basis, what is the contribution of each of the constraints, okay? We're gonna refer to those EDA steps are constraints, filtering constraints. So here you got the average performance for the model with all the steps, okay? So it's almost 10%, there is all the data and engineering, volatile, it's about a sharp of one, okay? On the opposite, you've got, sorry, you've got the one with, without, you see that's pretty much 40% of the, of, of the one with, Volatility is not highly, I mean, it's not extremely higher than the one without, by the way, but you see the deletion on the sharp and in the execution time, which is extremely higher, right? And here you see just the tails, just the coverage, just the outliers, right? And each of the three, those three cases are better than just uh, the, the one without any EDA. So, very simple cases, but still I wanted to, to make those points in order to, uh, uh, to make an assumption. So now, since we still have 10 minutes left, I'm gonna go through uh, the last case study, which is basically a comparable protocol, but this time much more uh, in line with the asset pricing theory. So I'm changing the duration that I want to predict and I'm just using a one month uh, a window. So I try to predict the rankings of stocks on a future one month basis, forward one month basis. It's always a classification emission model. The parameters, hyperparameters are not changing. This time, this is a more complex uh, universe because it's higher in terms of the uh, market cap. They are filtering in terms of average daily volumes. Uh, and of uh, median also market caps in order to make it much more efficient. There is also including uh, emerging market stocks, so including potential complexities in terms of subtilities in accountings in regions, also uh, problems uh, in, in different time series as well. So, and we uh, uh, using this five years uh, of window in order to split that in 80%, 20%. Basically the same charts that I showed you earlier, but this time we're gonna, we're gonna uh, check the performance side of things. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna compare machine learning model, just like the case before, uh, using those 200 features against a linear combination of the five different families of style investing. In each family of, of style investing, we're gonna have more than three different metrics in order to make, to make it slightly composite-like, much more robust. And we created those signals, so machine learning one and the multi-factor linear ones, and we're comparing the performance using different charts. So here you've got the production names of, and the IDs of the factors. You see a chart that is very common in uh, quant literature, which is a monotonic uh, uh, chart ass uh, assessment, if we can say. We want to see if the highest to decile 10 on a cumulative basis will be outperforming decile one. And we want to make sure that there is a nice linear uh, constant process on a which defines the monotonicity. So you see that here, the performance cumulative of D10 is higher than D9, D9 from D8, you get the picture. What you are seeing on the bottom is a different 
different representation of the same same time series here. Right? This time you take an average of everything in the full full time series of uh, of your portfolio, but you don't split them in decile. You split them in quantiles, right? You don't create ten portfolio. You create a hundred, and this is just the average arithmetic performance of those hundred portfolio. And why we are looking at because this is what we want to see. We want to see that there is not a problem in the tail, right? A weird curve that could be like that, something else. Those are the steps that people are monitoring when they're creating signals. So on the left, you get the machine learning models. Window of five years, try to predict a month ahead. And on the right, you get the linear combination, uh, which is close to a generic factor investing alpha signal, right? You see that the signal is absolutely not monotonic. There is uh, big problems in the higher tail, right? You see that the decile 10 is having some kind of a weird effect. And that was deliberate. I'm not saying that all the combination, linear combination of factor investing signal are like that. I deliberately made a very simple one, but you'll be surprised how many people are using simple things like that to try to manage money. The second part, in order to make sure that uh, our machine learning model is uh, delivering what we expect, what, what we expect is to leverage on nonlinear patterns to be much more adaptive and, and to have a better profiles with less turnover. That's pretty much what we expect. So here, what we are uh, looking at, and it's a very busy chart, so bear with me, is different one-year rolling analytics. Okay, this first part here is plain vanilla gross performance. The second one is a sharp ratio. It's performance divided by risk. There is no risk-free, which is removed. After that, this is one-year rolling volatility and one-year maximum rolling uh, drawdown, okay? You see, again, this denomination of portfolio, D10 and D1. Remember that D10 is the one that you want, the portfolio that you want to be long, and D1 is the short portfolio. So basically what you want to do, you want to see you long portfolio consistently outperforming your short portfolio. Why? Because it's, if, if the opposite is happening, you lose a lot of money, okay? So on the machine learning model, you see that did a good job of delivering this positive spread that you can create a, a long short out of it. On the classical linear one, you see all the problems, right? This V-shaped market with a junk rebound. And this is where you lose your job, basically. And you see that this outperformance of your short compared to your long, so the blue one compared to the brown one, is, is uh, quite uh, persistent, 50% of the case. Right? So you cannot put that in production. So basically, on those uh, different, very simple comparisons, which are monotonicity, we already see that machine learning is showing good results. On the rolling analytics side, you'll see also that is delivering almost what you can expect out of it. So now I will, let's have a look at the factor exposure side, which is basically a weighted average of holding-based percent rank. That's a very long sentence I'm gonna explain. So basically I'm not doing style analysis with regression. I'm just computing composite factor scores on each holdings every month. I'm ranking them in percentile from one to 100. And after that, I'm just summing the weight, okay? What you are seeing here is the long portfolio. 
for the machine learning models. And on the right, you'll see the long portfolio from the, for the multi-factor linear models. In one look, you can see that this one is much more dynamic while showing a comparable level of turnover. And this one is definitely not diversified enough because it's playing this value small cap effect. I'm going to jump on the conclusion because I want to speak for at least two minutes. And after that, I saw a lot of questions popping up. I'm guessing that I would have uh, some, some stuff to answer. So basically, this is a very quick example. Again, uh, apologies for it's, it's a very huge topic, machine learning and finance. So it's very difficult to be extremely brief and convincing in less than an hour. But you still have uh, the website for the book. You can dig into that. and if uh, you have burning question, drop me an email on LinkedIn and most of the time I'm replying in, in a couple of days. What I want you to see is that uh, machine learning finance should be much more like machine learning computer science for the community aspect. And that's why I wanted to recommend some books. I'm, I'm very proud to be part of this community, machine learning finance, and that's why I'm always uh, promoting some of the mentors that I might have had or you mentors that you have, right? Those are very good books from the Prado, from the old gang of the Pontopians and Matthew Nixon and uh, uh, Said for the alternative data. This is my contribution for the community and I wanted to stress on this one on the left, which is the Independent Journal of Machine Learning and Finance that I co-founded. So I wanted to have an independent journal of research in order to promote much more modern approaches, also to promote papers a little bit more daring. Uh, so if you have good ideas and you want to, to, to propose some papers, please get in touch uh, on, on this thing. Basically, on the concluding sides regarding machine learning and finance, and that was the point on my epi, epistemology slide uh, with Galileo, machine learning is absolutely not new. We know that algorithms and the math have been there for a very long time. Uh, it's not new, but still, this is a new way of doing research. And it should be treated very humbly, because actually it will be always finding something. Machine learning model will be always finding something. So you have to be careful in order to understand, to frame your problems, to frame your questions, in order to make the most out of your data sets, in order to think about the causality and, and, and uh, how can you leverage that through signals. ML is definitely a, a very good tool in order to extract the most out of traditional data, such as the factor investing ones, because it's going to leverage on the nonlinear rule-based things that we saw. After that, a, a last point, it's, it might be at some point a matter of survival to onboarding to data science as a whole, irrespective of your job, irrespective of you being in a risk manager, you being uh, uh, an execution trader, because at some point, I mean, we are producing so much data. We saw that with this catastrophic event of COVID. The technology now it seems like uh, a religion towards everybody is, is going, whether you like it or not. But it's going to reflect in economy. It's going to reflect in finance. It's still a good time now to involve those things, even if you don't like it, but at least to have an elaborated point of view about it. And so now I'm going to stop sharing and go through the question. Thank you so much, Tony. Really appreciate the in-depth discussion. Um, so let me see how I can um, get back the 
Um, how can I reclaim? Are you? Can you make me the host again? Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, <clears throat> we're not there yet. Okay, I found it. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so thank you so much again, Tony. This was this was an excellent presentation. And obviously, uh, there are a lot of questions associated with, uh, uh, you know, your presentation. So I'll kind of go through some of the questions. And uh, for people who still have questions, please make sure that you use the chat window. And uh, we will be, you know, looking at the questions and I will be asking those questions for Tony. Uh, so one of the questions was, I guess, uh, uh, with respect to the feature importance visualization, how was it done? Did you use any specific tools? Which was a more very specific question. I'm reading the question again. Uh, could you comment on your approaches one can take when the feature set is smaller? Is it, is it the wrong? Uh, there's one on the Q&A and there are a couple of questions on the chat window. So you can start with the question you're reading already. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, apologies. I've got no one uh, which is, I'm, I'm reading it. Could you comment on approaches one can take when the feature set is smaller, 10, 20, instead of 200 and 300? Is ML less applicable in that scenario? So I'm, I'm going to answer to that. Um, it does happen a lot, for instance, when you're treating um, commodities or equity is 70% of all data sets most of the time. So all, all different assets will be extremely difficult to cover. So what people are doing is to use a much more uh, physics-based approach, right? So you will compute the deltas as a new feature. So the level will be a feature, the delta will be a feature, the speed will be a feature. On top of that, depending on the metrics that you have, and if you're still in equities, for instance, and you have, I don't know, like 20 features, but still a good cross-section, a thousand stocks, you can use conditionality. For instance, sector neutral, region neutral, cap neutral, volatility neutral, liquidity neutral. Those things give you still another set of relative truth, which is uh, extracting even more juice from your data sets. This is signal engineering. Okay, cool. Um, um, so, John, you had a question. You want to ask the question? Hello, John. You want to talk? John, looked like you had a question. So, if you uh, want to ask, please uh, either use the chat window or you can ask. Uh, Tony, I actually had a question. Um, I didn't see very much mention of deep learning, which is extremely popular and everybody wants to talk about it nowadays. Uh, what's your experience and would you want to comment upon it in the, yeah. in the aspects of uh, factor-based investing? Uh, it's, it's a very nice uh, question because um, most of the time people are, it's a little bit like Python versus R. There is a lot of deep learning versus the rest of the world approach. Funny enough, when I started to have good results in machine learning for very stock selection, I started with deep learning. Mm -hmm. I started with deep learning and we did also a paper with Guillaume, which is a comparison of XGBoost, Random Forest and deep learning. The problems that I have, it's, it's, it's not that it wasn't working, it, that it was taking more time to make it work. Mm -hmm. You had to follow some, some kind of a different ground rules, for instance, expanding window were working well. 
So it was more thriving on a on a higher more the more data you can you can feed the network. But the thing which was really unsatis unsatisfying was the fact that actually shallow network were giving better results than very deep, deep network. Hmm. So the structure of the network with I don't know, like five hidden layer or six hidden layer, it was it was an overkill. And basically it was taking too much time. So, so the good thing is that I switched to ask myself what I wanted to see in, a, in the models rather than try to pick at any cost a model. I wanted to see learning rates. I wanted to be capable of simulating these boosted uh, gradient descent approaches where you keep the labels that have been misclassified and you go forward and you just keep the one that the epsilon on a regression, the epsilon on the other regression and so on. And I wanted to be something that was potentially interpretable. Nowadays, it's more a, a, an issue because there is a lot of packages like CHAP uh, that are making local agnostic. So I'm saying that, to be honest with you, except from NLP-based, semantic-based, and very high-level big data, stationary data, I'm not using that much deep learning. Got it. Um, so uh, actually, there was a question on another forum. So I'm just going to uh, reiterate how to access the, the code and the slides. So you can go to you know, Tony's book and uh, directly get the code, which he mentioned earlier. Uh, the slides are available. If you have registered, you will be able to get the slides uh, through the academy.qsandbox.com. And there was a code. Um, so if you wanted to run it through the sandbox, so you just basically log in and you say run on sandbox. And uh, you will be able to see all the notebooks with, uh, uh, with the, we've basically taken all the code uh, Tony shared with us and we have packaged that as Jupyter Notebooks. So you should just be able to like click it and you'll have like a Google Colab notebook. And we have done a couple of updates in there so that it can actually run in a notebook setting. And uh, once that's there, you should be able to, you know, actually run the code directly without you having to install any of the packages. So it makes it reproducible and you can try out all the chapters in his book. And I'm actually very excited about this, Tony, myself, because I want to run through all the code and uh, you know, just basically go through all the chapters and you know, have your online book and also be able to run it by side by side. That way I can kind of you know, experience the code rather than just kind of treat it as two separate activities. So, uh, yeah, we're going to continue uh, uh, feeding this uh, companion website uh, because we've been ex having a lot of nice positive feedback. Uh, the community have been has been helping us day one, giving you giving us uh, typos or way of improving or adding a liter to the literature review. So that's that's great first sign. So we're gonna play ball and 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 continue feeding this website to make the book uh, live ever after. If I absolutely, sense. absolutely. Um, so I'm just gonna check if there are uh, other questions. I actually had one more question. So. Uh, we in the in the Quant University Summer School, we've been having these three courses and we've been doing a bunch of different lectures. Um, so this whole notion of interpretable machine learning, um, also explainable machine learning, some of them use it inter interchangeably. What's your experience in, um, you know, in a practical sense? Like, do you typically, uh, are you asked by your company to say, well, uh, these models are too sophisticated. You need to kind of explain us how the models are actually now, during these results, or do you get uh, asked by end users saying, uh, please explain how you are able to generate these results? So, what's your experience with um, interpretable machine learning and, and uh, expo uh, explainable machine learning? 
So that's a very good question. I mean, it's always a question of stakeholder. In my current job and in Airtran, this is a no-brainer. I mean, everybody agree on, on that, and I don't have to convince uh, by by explaining too much on the interoperability side, because the, the rest of my manager managing the directors, they are also machine learners, so they understand that. I'm, I'm not really an example. And in previous companies, and and from feedbacks that I'm hearing. It's very important to to demystify some of the myth because there is some kind of general conscience about what is AI in finance, which mm -hmm. I hate using this word AI. People have been too much excited too fast. So expectation have been above. What I will suggest is, is always to put your shoes, uh, put your feet in the shoes of the of the stakeholders you try to convince or just to illuminate mm -hmm. uh, you have to make your assumption and expectation clear just like i did right for instance one good common practice in machine learning and stock selection is to to split the added value right in models in in booster trees uh, you do have this automated to some extent feature selection right some features won't be used because it's they're not helping right or other helping more okay so it's a good common practice to do benchmarks such as linear combination of the most important variable. Okay? Mm -hmm. Imagine that you train in one year, you have 50 variables, the most, the most 20 most important, you blend them on average and you create a new signal. Right? Your machine learning models should be outperforming it. If not, there is no point, right? Because you still have to bear that in mind. You expect leverage from nonlinearity added value from non-linearity, and added value from feature selection as well. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Um, just want to let you know, for people who are interested in dialing in every week, so this has become, this is the sixth week of uh, the Quant University Summer Series. So we want to kind of make it a tradition of learning. So every Wednesday by noon, you get your lunch, and uh, if you're in the East Coast, or you get your dinner if you're in Geneva, and then you sit and hear from an amazing speaker, and get to learn something new. So we want to kind of make it a tradition. So next week, uh, we are fortunate to have three speakers and we're going to extend the workshop to a two hour workshop. And uh, Tony shared uh, the new book by uh, Matthew, Igor and Paul. So they're all going to be here. Uh, they're going to be doing three lectures uh, on machine learning and finance from their latest book, uh, Machine Learning in Finance from Theory to Practice. And uh, please make sure that you register. It's an extremely popular session. And please make sure you dial in early if you want to hear live from all the three speakers. I'm also working with them behind the scenes so that we can create three labs so that you can actually use the Q Sandbox to run the labs from those books. So they're going to be presenting three different topics, uh, one on reinforcement learning. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to have a com combination of different topics uh, based on the expertise of all the three uh, speakers and authors. So I'm really looking forward to next week's session. Um, it's uh, one o'clock. Uh, I know we could not get to all the questions, but um, you know, just being respectful of everybody's time, we will try and get back to the questions offline. Uh, again, Tony, I really appreciate you taking uh, your uh, time of your busy day or evening and uh, making time for us. Uh, it was an pleasure. absolute pleasure hearing from you and uh, knowing more about you and your research and what excites you. And uh, thank you for your contributions to the community and also making the book and the code online available 
for free. You know, it brings in you know a whole new layer of accountability to make sure that you present exactly. something which uh, you know is not only uh, something which you have conceived and you have experienced and you want to share, but also bringing that rigor wherein you want to be able to have your peers, have other experts kind of look at it and also look at it both from uh, you know, a novel pers- a novelty perspective saying, oh, this is novel, I have not tried it, but also from a critical perspective. And that's how science evolves, right? Uh, so you uh, have given that opportunity. And I think uh, as at, at Quant University too, we are basically trying to build that rigor. Uh, in some ways, we want to just avoid people to just come in and take bite-sized information and just move out. So we kind of hold them. And as you know, I've been pestering you so many times in the last few weeks, you know, getting your slides, getting the thing, because we want to make sure that whoever is coming to these sessions don't just get like a bite-sized, you know, high-level overview and just walk away, but they have core materials so that they can read through it, they can review it, they can get the code so that they can practice it. And the economy is not doing us many favors and uh, depending on what your portfolio looks like, but, you know, systemically, there is going to be a major shift over the next few months. And, uh, People are going to be laid off. People are going to be furloughed. People are going to be looking for something new to do. People have to think about automation. People have to think about digital transformation. And machine learning is going to be a part of everybody's life. So um, I hope the sessions we are putting together helps bring some more clarity and helps kind of change the perspective that it's not a black box, which is not accessible. It is something which uh, has been vetted out by experts, by practitioners, by Uh, theory uh, folks, and I'm uh, part academic. I teach at Northeastern University. In the past seven years, I've taught machine learning and data science. So I'm kind of seeing new areas in which this whole area could be uh, looked at and also approached. And I encourage you to also take that journey with us so that you can continue your learning and bring in more rigor and discipline to this science. Um, So thank you again for making the time today. And I will see you again next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for today's session of the Q Podcast Show. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at quantuniversity.com for upcoming events, courses, and to continue the discussion.